Man, may we follow the one who reveals himself to us. He has a miracle for us, a revealing of himself to let us see who he is. Man, well, it's great to be here with you, and uh, it's great to be worshiping with you guys. Man, we are celebrating Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. He is alive. Everybody just say, He is alive. He is alive. Man, that's our celebration. And we're talking through a series now. We started it last week, launched it on Easter Sunday, and just called Follow Him. Follow Him. What does it mean to walk with Jesus Christ? What does it mean to follow after Jesus Christ? How do I give my life to Him in different facets and forms? That's what we're going after. It's just a few weeks long here, but Lord, help us to grasp what it is to give our lives to you, right? So do me a favor. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. And we're going to be talking a little bit today about following the willing one. Last week, we were talking about following the risen one, Jesus Christ. He is alive. Now we're talking about following the willing one. He completely knew what he was headed into. He knew where he was going. He knew what the cost would be. And he went for you and for me. May God get all the glory. The willing one as we take these steps together. So what does it look like to follow the willing one? Well, point number one, follow the one who willingly went to the cross for me. Follow the one who willingly went to the cross for me. Man, that's a huge call that we grasp that he knew and understood the cost and the weight and the pain of the cross, and he went anyway. Luke chapter 9 gets going here, and we're jumping into a little bit of a different passage than where we were last week. So every time we jump into a new passage, you just got to make sure you know a little bit of what's going on around it. Make sure you have the context, right? The goal is not to just jump in, open up, and start saying what it makes you think of right? As we open up the scriptures, so what's really going on around it? And so what do I need to know as I properly grasp this? So to get a little bit of the lay of the land, right? This is Luke 9. It's early on, right? Christ is still introducing himself to people along the way. He's introducing his power and his authority and his teaching skill set. Jesus has already done a bunch of miracles. Like he has healed people. He has cast out demons he even had someone with, he raised them from the dead at their funeral as it was going by. Raises the son from the dead. Jesus has displayed his massive authority and power. Now he's up along the north side of the shore of Galilee, not far away from that picture we were looking at last week, that uh, kind of the picture looking out onto the sea, pretty close to that. And in fact, there was some uh, needs going on. He was teaching and it got to be a little bit later. And it was time to feed. And the feeding of the 5,000 was a huge issue. It says there were 5,000 men gathered, which means there were also women and children. So it's really hard to say. 8,000, 10,000, maybe more that were rallied together. And they ended up having a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And they took that. And Jesus, performing a miracle, started tearing and breaking and dropping it into buckets. And they went off to feed. And every time they came back, there was still more and still more. And off of this little bit, it just kept replenishing. It got all the way to the end where all 5,000 men and all of their families were all fed. And all of the disciples each came back with a full bucket, 12 buckets full. This huge 
packed amount of people and they were fed right there. People saw a miracle as Christ displayed. He is in charge of all. There is no problem too big for him. That's what they just got done seeing. And now we jump into this passage. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. It says, now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Jesus was exhausted. He had just gotten done teaching and, and performing this miracle and feeding the 5,000. And, and uh, so he's now stepped aside a little bit. He's praying alone, it says. Now, it doesn't mean he's all isolated. He's praying. It's him talking to the Father as he's communicating to God the Father where he's at. And they're connecting with each other. Him alone with his Father. Doesn't mean he doesn't have people around, right? It says the disciples were there with him. They weren't praying, but they were hanging out. So why does he say it that way? Well, he's kind of making it clear. This was a Jesus, God the Son, talking to God the Father, and it was a special moment there. The others were hanging around. The disciples were nearby, but they weren't participating in it. It says, now it happened that Jesus was praying alone. The disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? You can imagine this moment of reflection as Jesus is talking to the Father and there's this deep communion over what's just gone on in the beginning of the revealing of God Almighty into this world. And as Jesus is finishing praying there, he turns and he looks at the disciples who are just kind of sitting around, maybe even a little distant. And all of a sudden he looks up and you know, you kind of snap your head. You're like, is, now he's looking at us and he says, who, who do they say that I am? Like, what's going on in their minds? They just saw this massive feeding of the 5,000. What do you think is in their heads? And so the disciples, hearing this question, who the crowds say that I am, they answered him. Well, John the Baptist, uh, but others say Elijah, and others, uh, one of the disciples of old that has risen. So they give really three different answers here. It's like, who do they say that I am? Well, they give three solutions. Let's just evaluate those solutions a little bit, right? The first one, some say John the Baptist. Let's be a little blunt. That's a bit ludicrous, right? Why? Well, John the Baptist was standing right beside Jesus on a number of different moments. There had to be somebody that was like, I think it's John the Baptist. And the other guy's like, dude, they were both standing side by side. What are you talking about? It couldn't be John the Baptist. That's ridiculous. Right? And so, yeah, John the Baptist had some authority, but that guy was not clued in to the fact that, like John saying, behold, the Lamb of God. He wasn't talking about himself, you know? Like, this is two different guys, man. Wake up. That's a pretty ludicrous proposal. And um, another one, though, maybe more literal, coming from Malachi 4 or 5, actually, they said, uh, maybe Elijah. Malachi 4 or 5, it says, God promising, I will send you Elijah before those days. I will send you Elijah. And so somehow the Jewish people are looking for Elijah to come back. Now, the question is, is this literally Elijah or is this more like a type that's Elijah? Is it metaphorical? And that has to still be worked out. There are still discussions on that today. And, and they're like, well, maybe he's Elijah. Now, it's pretty clear in Matthew that actually John the Baptist played more the role of Elijah in that moment. 
And some are saying they think Elijah may be one of the witnesses to come in the end times. And, and so there's a lot of discussion around that passage. Not a bad talk there. They're at least staying in tune with reality and they know their scripture, right? And they're like, well, maybe, maybe Elijah? And, right? And then the last one, probably rather unlikely, is, I don't know, maybe it's just one of the prophets of old who passed away. Who? I don't know. Just one of them, you know? Like, just somebody. And like, do you ever find it weird? Like, if somebody were to say, who is that guy? Like, our American culture, the last thing we would go for is probably somebody who already walked the earth and died. We wouldn't be like, I'll bet it's somebody who came back to life. Like, that would not be our number one solution, right? But it is for the Jewish faith. Why? Well, there's a lot of statement of typology in the Old Testament, like the Elijah statement. There's a lot of statement of responsibility. And as those scriptures are brought out and they're taught them, they're wrestling with how real is that? How literal? Versus is that a metaphor, a type? This person represented like they had the ministry of Elijah. Like, what does that mean? And they're wrestling with it. And so they're looking for, and maybe it could even be as big as, just coming back and doing more miracle work. And uh, their hope is in one of the prophets of old coming back in some way, shape, or form. And uh, those are the three answers they gave. And he says, then he said to them, well, who do you say that I am? And it was probably about as quiet as it just was in this room. Right? Who do you say that I am? And you got to imagine that in the moment where he's like, well, who do they say that I am? That's multiple disciples kicking in, you know, oh, maybe this and this and this. Who do you say? Um, right? There's the pull back a little. Let's be a little careful. I want to be cautious about what I say here. I don't want to be over presumptive. I don't want to understate for sure. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be wrong and this is a great moment for somebody who's a little more brash to step up. And, uh, and so Peter fills the gap. And uh, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered. Now, Peter's personality is one who just runs into anything. Like he's, he's going to take the bull by the horns. And if everybody else doesn't want to talk about it, then I'll talk about it. And, and you got to hear this phrase. Who do people say that I am? The Christ, the Christ of God, that's who. Like Peter comes in bold, almost, you got to, dude, spring it down a little. Like the Christ of God, that's who you are. You're the Messiah. That's that word Christ. Translated over, Messiah. You're the promise from the Old Testament. You're the hope that we have been waiting for. You're the one who is going to bring transformation like none other. You're the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. You're the one who is going to do miracle after miracle and blow us away. We've been waiting for you. You're the Christ of God, you've got to remember this is well before the cross. This is early on in the ministries and he's starting to grasp what's going on. He's seeing Jesus as the hope. Now remember the Jewish hope of the Messiah would be someone who would take over physically and establish the kingdom. Maybe another way to say this, you're the one who's going to Conquer Rome, turn it upside down and make Israel in charge. 
You're the one who's going to be ruling over all other rulers. You're going to fix this mess. Like that's a big part of what's going on is the political hope, the physical hope right in front of them as he grasped the Messiah statement. You are provider, you are teacher, you are miracle worker, and you're our hope. That's what Peter's saying. And so Jesus' answer next is really important. Notice what Jesus said. Let's take a look. What he did not say. Uh, no. Like, you're the Christ. No. He didn't say that. Everybody say, not that. No, he didn't say that. When he said, you're the Christ of God. Where would you get that from? Like, he's not pushing that answer back. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It says, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. He's like, you're the Christ of God. And you could see the other disciples like, that's true, man. That's what we believe. That's where we're at. He said it, but that's where we're at, right? And they're starting to lean in on a little bit. And he's like, tell no one. Why, Why not? I mean, can you imagine? You've been reading the Old Testament scriptures. You've been studying for years. Your family has talked about it for centuries. And now the fulfillment is in front of you. I know the Messiah. Shh. Don't tell anyone. And that's going to be a hard secret to keep. Especially when it turns out that the same guy you're trying to keep the secret about just fed 5,000 people. Right? You're like, I'm not sure if I'm letting it out of the bag, Jesus. That one kind of is, you know? Like, it's sort of getting out. What's going on? And why are you asking for that? Jesus is bringing people in. But more than that, there's timing that's super important along the way. Jesus, several years before the crucifixion, and he has this statement to say. He's like, don't tell anyone. Like, the Father's timing is important. Saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, now that is pretty clear, right? Don't you wonder, doesn't it cross your mind? Like, how is it that a couple years later when he starts to be rejected and then beaten and they take him to the cross where they're not like, dude, this is totally what he said. This is what he said is going to happen. He's going to die. Three days later, set your watches. Like, no, that's not what happened. Somehow as he's saying this, all they heard was, don't tell anyone. That's all they really got out of it. And they're wrestling with what's going on. Christ being super clear and specific though. As he says, the son of man must suffer and he must be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. There's a whipping and a beating and a mocking and a pulling aside and a tearing down from position and authority. And then he will be killed. There's going to be a cross and there's going to be death and the blood is going to be shed. And on the third day, he will be raised. I don't know what the disciples were thinking. Maybe what was going through their mind was, is this a metaphor? What does he mean by this? Is he the son of man? Am I understanding him right? What's, 
Maybe they were confused by all of it, but here's the reality. Jesus said, I'm telling you this. Don't let the cat out of the bag. Where did that analogy and illustration come from? Who's got a cat in a bag? Man, maybe you should let the cat out of the bag. I don't know. But don't don't let this out. Keep it quiet. Like, don't let this go. We're doing something here. And there's a set of things that have to happen before we make it clear who I am. Payment is going to be made. Jesus Christ, completely aware that he would be beaten for my sin. That he would be mocked and torn down. That he would be taken to the cross because we have to make it about me. Jesus Christ willingly going as he said these words by his actions. I love you. I love you with all I've got. Hang on. We're doing something way bigger than feeding a few mouths. Hang on. I love you. You matter to me. I am willing to do even this for you. Jesus giving us hope in the middle of a hurting world. Your God loves you with all he's got. And he declared his purpose. It was pain and death. But more than that, victory and life. Jesus Christ, he's like, hang on, hang on. I must conquer death and conquer sin. I must be walking around establishing life and life eternal. Then we can get that word out. Hang on. May we recognize that our God was so willing that he went right where he knew exactly the details of what he had to go to, even when those around him weren't backing him. Huge deal. You know, uh, John and I were driving around this past weekend. We were actually in Washington uh, driving along. We saw a sign up on Russell's Bike Shop. And uh, it's a great sign, man. Uh, Put the phrase up, uh, you know, a lot can happen in three days. That's a great Easter sign. You know, a lot can happen in three days. And Jesus' whole discussion here of suffering and dying and rising, all of this wording in three days, that's my God, Jesus Christ. He is risen from the dead and we have victory. That's my king. Everybody just say it out loud. That's my king, louder and bigger. That's my king. Don't miss it. Don't lose it. Celebrate him with all you've got. Man, last week was a huge celebration for Easter Sunday as we unleashed it here in this place and online, bringing it all together. And uh, just a, a couple of photos here for it. We'll throw those up. But man, it was just an awesome time of celebration as we get these pics up here. We had um, like, I think it was around 2,300 in person and another thousand plus online and just a huge number as we went well over 3,000 and just amazing time. Yeah. Praise God. And tons of worship, tons of time celebrating. We had 27 adults accept Christ throughout the day. We had another nine kids. Amen, man. 
man, plus another nine kids, there's 36 people who came to trust Christ as Savior where they're saying, you are my king. I am in. May God get all the glory. Amen, man. Don't miss it. Jesus Christ. He knew about the cross. And he willingly went for you and for me. He's like, hang on. Don't let it out yet because it could start to disrupt things. We've got purpose here. I'm going to make a payment that will cover the sin of all of the world for those who will come to me. Let that happen. And do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is he your king? Are you following him? Are you in? May we follow the one who willingly went to the cross for us. And all of God's people said, huge deal. Number two, follow the one who offers salvation. Follow the one who offers salvation. After he got done describing the steps that he would go through on those three days of the suffering and the beating of the death and of the resurrection, he said, if any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow Jesus Christ, here's the description. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Each of these three statements are actually in the imperative form. They're commands. Deny, take up, follow. Deny, take up, follow. But just so you know, there's two very different types of imperatives being mentioned here. The one is kind of a, they call it the heuristic form, but it's basically just this, it's an incident. It happened. Like, do this. It's like, it kind of gets the point across of a one and done. Do this. And then the other is in the present form. And it means in an ongoing sense, continue to do this over and over and over and over again. He used the kind of the non-descriptive one, the incident-based one for the first two. And let him deny himself. Like, it's not about me. It's about my king. It's a moment where you're saying, it's not my glory. His. It's not my comfort. His. As we deny ourselves, as we set ourselves down. He says, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Again, just a pick up. It's an incident. Now he puts the word daily there so you get a sense that it's going to have to be practiced out. It's going to come. But he's like, just do it. Just take up your cross. Down with self. Pick up your cross. And then the last one, and in an ongoing sense, over and over and over again, follow me. Follow and follow and follow and follow and follow me. That following is in a constant form, nonstop. Do this always. May we follow him. Man, there's no way you can follow if at first you don't say, it's not about me. Down with me, up with Christ. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. It may come with a cost. But look what he did for me. 
I'm in. And our first steps in being saved, admit I need a savior and believe it's all about him. I'm in. But man, that last step is a doozy. And there are a lot of people who are like, fine, I'm not perfect. Yeah, fine, you can die for my sins. But you are not in charge and I will not follow. Man, please hear me on this. From scripture, that's not saved. Saved is where we're following him. Saved is where we're confessing him as Lord in charge of my life. Saved is where we're saying, you take over, you're in charge. Yes, we must admit we are a sinner. We're in need. Deny yourself. It's not about me. But yes, we must also say, and you're awesome. You're worth suffering for. I believe you are the God of the universe, right? Pick up your cross and take a stand with him. Yeah, that's great. But the reality is, and then I'm going to do whatever I want. That's not saved. Follow and follow and follow and follow me. Saved. Man, may we connect with our king. May we grasp who he is. May we give our hearts to him. Don't toy with just being A and B, admit and believe. In fully confess. Make sure you're following the Savior of the universe. He's like, if any of you want to follow me, well, here's what it looks like to come after me. And you know, the word follow can be meaning so many different things. So I just wrote a few words down. And uh, to follow Jesus. Here's four different words that you may want to write down. First is that we listen. If we're going to follow him, we need to be listening to him. What do you have to say? What's your thought on this? Listen to Jesus Christ, following him. You listen to him, you're prioritizing him. Second, you're communicating with him. You're also sharing back where you're at. We read at the beginning of this, Jesus said that he went alone. He was praying to the Father, him with the Father. Man, taking time to pray and share with your God where you're at, communicating with him. And here's some big ones. And then aligning, align with his values. Like you grasp what he values and you begin to make those your values. Align with his values. Following him requires for your footsteps to be aligning with his. Follow him. What he cares about you care about. And then the last one and the big one, and obey his commands. Obey his commands. Man, we're not following if we're not obeying. We're not following if we're going with him. Here's another way to say it. Christ is like, we're in a snowstorm. I'm taking the steps and we're going to get out of here. Put your foot in my footprints. Follow me. Man, are you following with Christ? Do you have the same values as Christ? Do you communicate with your God? Are you giving your soul to him? Lord, I'm listening to you. What do you have to say? What is your word teaching? Lord, here's where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. I'm giving you my whole self. Take over. God, I value what you value and I will go where you go. I'm following you. I obey you. I'm in. And that's saved. Jesus, you're in charge of my life. 
I'm following you. Praise God, we have a God that forgives, right? We're not perfect in our following. We're not perfect in our walk. But man, if you're like, I am never going to do that. Please hear me. If you're here today, please hear this in the moment. If you're here today and you've been holding on to a sin and you're like, not letting it go. I will do this over and over again. It's what I want to do. And be careful. That's not following. Scripture's pretty clear. That's not saved. I will not get this sin out of my life. I'll do what I want. Jesus Christ is not Lord of that life. Man, I am willing for it to go. Lord, please forgive me. I'm wrong. Saved. And even if we trip back into that sin again, but Lord, I know it's wrong. I want it done. Please forgive me. A heart of repentance, it's over. But if your position is, I will not repent, I will not let go, this sin is mine. Nope, not going to do it. Please hear me know exactly where that stands. That's not saved. Don't toy around with this message, man. It is such an important message to grasp. We are not saved because of our perfection. Everybody say, not that. It's Jesus' perfection. Praise God for that. That's why we're saved. But we give our lives to him and we follow. As well as we can, we're going after it. I will not harbor sin. I'm going after it. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, dude, those are hard words. But those are good words to really wrestle with. Done with this sin, you're in charge, God. Please forgive me. I'm following you. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Like, man, if you're just trying to hold on for the comforts and the joys and the pleasures of the moment, that is short-lived. And there is eternity to be had, and Christ is not messing around. He's like, there is eternity. Come with me. I will have it for you. Lose the self-comfort, the self-drive, the self-glory. I have your eternity in hand. Come with me. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Those words are heavy, man. He's like, don't be ashamed of the words of the Son of Man, of Jesus Christ. May we celebrate what he has to say. And may we worship and run after him with all we've got. Get this, man. When Jesus first came, Isaiah 53 is pretty clear. It's like, Jesus really wasn't that good looking. Did you know that? You might be like, that sounds like heresy. Read Isaiah 53. I'm telling you, it's like, wasn't that much to look at. It's kind of a good paraphrase of that little passage. Jesus didn't come in like, you know, 6'9", towering over everybody, stud-looking guy. He came in humble. He could have, he's the king of the universe. He speaks creation. He's like, I'll clothe myself with that, right? You got to imagine some of the angels were like, really, that? Seriously, with all you could do, right? He comes in humble and not much. And he's like, I'm just telling you, notice he says, when the Son of Man comes in glory with the glory of the Father and the glory of the angels, he's like, not like right now. 
Like right now, I'm keeping it a little bit cloaked. And there's going to be deliverance through the cross, not deliverance through my glory. But man, am I telling you, when I come back, I am coming in full power and authority. I am coming with the perfection and the glory of God Almighty and the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son and the glory of the angels are going to be pouring on everything. And there is going to be a natural dropping to our knees of every single person everywhere. He's in charge. The King of the universe, God Almighty, we will drop. He's like, don't be caught on that day having denied me when I was this. Hang on. I am who I say I am, and I am bringing a thunderous glory. I am willingly going to the cross for you. I love you. Hang with me. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, don't miss it, man. We have a sweet, sweet privilege to worship the king of the universe. And we've been given the inside scoop. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the God of the universe. He is all love. He has died for you and risen. Are you ready to give him your life? He then says at the end, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. He's talking to these guys, and honestly, there's still a lot of discussion about this passage today. Like, what did he mean? Like, for sure, the transfiguration is the next passage, like where Jesus says, James, Peter, John, come with me. And a few of the guys see him, like, be glorified in body. And that very transition we're talking about, they saw some of it. They saw Jesus taking on this glorified moment, and they saw him interacting with glorified beings, and they were kind of stunned by what they saw. And It could mean that. It could be that it's talking about the transfiguration, and there's good chance in that. Could also mean that Christ, when he was risen from the dead, it could mean the whole moment when the Holy Spirit came on and the church started up and the Holy Spirit's giving information about who Christ is and people are being saved. Whatever's happening very soon, there is going to become the revealing of Christ as king. He's like, know this, boys. Summary point. It's not long till the kingdom of God is thundering in this physical place. Get ready. May God get all the glory. May we worship and behold the lamb. May we celebrate the God of the universe. His name is Jesus Christ. Behold the lamb. Everybody just say, behold the lamb. Louder and bigger. May we follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 